Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their own work and their own favorites from writers they're inspired by or love. First up, here's LSU professor and poet Laura Mullen. Hi, my name is Laura Mullen. I'm a poet who lives in New Orleans, and I'm really happy to be have been invited to be part of this amazing new program, um, which is highlighting poets and artists and um, dramatists and journalists in the New Orleans region, as well as poetry, first and foremost. And I've been invited to read my own work and also some work that is of interest to me and would be of interest to you, I think. Because New Orleans is an international city, I'm going to start by bringing in some work by other people that I think would be of interest. And I'm going to start, because I've just come back from New Zealand, by bringing in the work of Michelle Leggett. Um, She received a Prime Minister's Award for Literary Achievement in Poetry in 2013. She teaches at the University of Auckland and coordinates the New Zealand Electronic Poetry Center. Leggett was the inaugural New Zealand Poet Laureate from 2007 to 2009. I brought in a couple of poems off of her CD because I wanted you to hear her gorgeous accent. I also want to say, because it's important to me, it's meaningful to me, that Michelle Leggett is um, a poet who was cited and who has slowly gone blind and... She is coping with learning how to write in from that condition, how it changes line breaks, how it changes your relationship to your own work when you can't see it. And not only do I think she's an amazing poet and one we might not hear about it from this part of the world, but I also... At this moment, because I'm making this recording just after Harvey hit land, um, I just want to bring in the voice of somebody who is resilient and brave and making, as people in New Orleans and people all over the world tend to do, amazing art in the face of adversity. O's and Spangs This long talk with desire, this long talk. Detail, which is the mirage of seeing. Detail, which is a sleeping lover in the poem's words. A sleeping lover. Honey in the throat and singing. Honey in the throat. A light kiss, a dark kiss, to be in love. A light kiss, and loved in the third stanza, that stanza, which is a detail, a canopy, a sleep, a sloop, a sleep. Where do they come from? Where do they go? They come and they go. The horses of Lou, thundering, la, la, thundering. I didn't need eyes for that little pot. I didn't need 
eyes. I dug right in. I went everywhere. I was everywhere. I was carrying sounds for the mirage and sounds carrying, hoping the miracle would happen. The miracle boat. Whisper now what I will be. Whisper now. This long talk, detail which is a sleeping lover, honey in the throat, a light kiss, that stanza, a sloop, a sleep, they come and they go, thundering, I didn't need eyes, everywhere I was, sounds carrying the miracle boat, whisper. Twenty-seven. Signature pink, leap bodily, the helix enough doubled, erotic or singing, to say I am energy, make certain my best faints dab your ever, this is me. Leap enough to make dab me. Also, in the interests of bringing in poetry from other places, other people, I'm going to read a tiny bit from a new book that's just come out on Omnidon Press by José Felipe, Felipe Alverg. It's called Precise, and it's a really gorgeous poetic meditation on a very, very, very sad event, which is the, the running over of a young girl in a border town by a drunk driver and the subsequent blaming of the dead girl for her own death. She was said to be jaywalking. And the book is a tender brilliant and relentless exploration of this subject. and I'll just read a tiny bit of the beginning. Press is a poem. Us looking up and the red glow warms the act of listening to us. Look near and warms the speaking to act us to speak in and warms the nearing breathing to be in and listen to us. Look up, breathe in. Listen, those they risk language. Cidro. Dead Alma ascends the blood-warmed and coolant spilt across black, bright, and blue. Her body lay, mangled, multicolored, glass at midnight. Remain limbs in those touch positions. And her face. Vacancy and death pluck, a first verse. Aluminum flicker inside darkness, sustained the mood for witness. They are always men in this world driving Mustangs. The sparkling scene outlines street lights and border lights 
freeway lights and reflections, complexity given transcendence, a place always thought of such a small town, Isidro. In part, a map of memories. The smell of brake dust is absent of faith. This line goes, Inside the bar, evidence and facts sit leaning, their weight against the grain, the wood sustaining. Inside the bar, reasons explain violence, are explaining or are explanations or... and so on. When I was invited to read, I thought I would... um, include a bit from a book I've just finished translating by the French poet Véronique Pitolo. She lives in Paris. She's very, very well-known and highly regarded in France, and too few people here seem to know her work. And uh, I have to say, that's I feel like that's partially my fault, because I started translating a book of hers a decade ago, and I took my own sweet time about it. But... Um, I've completed it, and I'm beginning to send it out, and I wanted to read you a bit from it. It's called, well, it's called Hero, and it really is a meditation on the hero, and it blends in an extremely, to me at least, interesting way, film criticism and poetry. And the poems look like poems on the page. They're very deep in the film noir tradition, and I think I was... Um, in part attracted to them because they are so American. The city of New Orleans is even mentioned at one point in the book. Um, So as part of a a homage to our important relationship with France, and because I love this book and because I took way too long translating it, I'm going to read you just a teeny piece. There's an introduction and then there's this first page, and it'll give you a sense of the drama of the work and also it's, um, I don't know the word for it exactly, maybe drama and distance. It's both very intense and very, very far off at the same time, which is an extremely contemporary phenomenon, I think. Here we go. From Heroes. Bill stops himself brusquely. He enters, stumbles over something. Muriel's shoes make two marks on the ground. Two arms dangle from the bed. He catches his feet on the telephone cord. He turns around, shuts off the radio. Sound of steps amplified on the stairs. At this instant, the hero must make a decision, seize a last chance, and prove his autonomy. The hero is the guy who's determined to find chances. The heroine wears a dark raincoat and sunglasses. A man arrives. He rests his hand on the bar stool beside her. The conversation starts up. It's three in the afternoon. Muriel lets things go. The world develops around her, despite her. Always, she leaves traces on the cigarette filters. Messages, bottles in the sea. The heroine is a body in movement before being a thought in action. From the jukebox comes a sweet melody. Jeff? 
I'll pass by the drugstore. I wanted to tell you how much I think of you. When I was invited to come in here and read, I thought about what of my own work I might want to read. And um, one of the things I thought I would do is read a couple poems from my first book as a way of going back and contextualizing what comes later and thinking about who I am as a poet um, now that I'm here and where I was before. So these are a couple of poems from a book called The Surface, which came out in 1991, and it came out on the University of Illinois Press. And this is the second poem in the book, and it's called Blood Oranges. And it was my way of thinking through the Jason and Medea story while making it very present and embodied by way of that so interesting fruit, the blood orange. Blood oranges. I stood in the kitchen cutting them open for his pleasure. I was speaking to him calmly through the open door, pausing sometimes to lick the flat side of the knife. What colors, I said to him, knowing that he would remember the desert and how our haste to be out of danger measured itself against the slow, staining of the sky. What fire opals, he murmured. He had promised me everything. What rubies, I answered, looking out where the barren landscape I had by heart flickered by. No one fooled me. I crushed love to my mouth, and the juice was briefly sweet. We left the pieces where they fell, and no one was following us. How can you be sure, he asked when I split the first one. And then I showed him how the darkness seeps up through the skin. I have dreamed of the woman he loves now. She was beautiful, fleeing her father's house in terror, the white dress lifting around her the numberless tongues of bright orange and deep red. It's very possibly not as important to anyone else as it is to me that that poem, while I think it's, uh, and I'm going to put heavy scare quotes around this, scarecrows, scare quotes around this, um, is a good poem. It's also a poem that is very much of its moment, uh, written in the early 80s, 1980s, um, and uh, very accomplished in a way that was recognizably accomplished. So I'm going to read a poem from later in the book that is more in, I would say, what was to become my voice and more of an exploration, more of a discovery of what uh, good could be when I was doing it rather than when I was imitating it. Okay, so this poem is called The Lease. The lease. I dry my clothes in a dryer. Fall comes, then winter, then spring. I watch the spiders doing and undoing their elaborate theories about what it means to be cornered and to wait to corner something smaller than yourself. Dinner. All this happens a long way away from the place I told you about before. 
the ugly young man in the laundromat riffs his jacket zipper, stands up in front of the MTV and says, I'm a drummer. Annoyed by the way we girls are dying over Mick Jagger's tongue. The clothes smell of nothing when I bring them home. Why should I want them to take up the wind's imitations, cut grass, burning leaves, the scent of the river, or see them on a line I put up myself like pieces of myself, hacked up but struggling furiously, tonguing the air, and maybe pulling it down? In the dryer, they go up and they fall back down on each other with a violent complacency, like slam dancers. After spring, summer, hot and damp. When my tennis shoes kick their way out before it's over, I stuff them back in, feed it another quarter. When you say whoops, I know exactly what you mean. So I'm going to take a leap far, far, far ahead to a poem from a book called Subject. Subject was published by the University of California Press in 2005. And by then, I, I can say I really, yeah, pretty much know uh, what I want to do and how I want to do it. And yet this poem itself is worried about a kind of tracking, a kind of the way the force of the will carves through the world, the way we lay railroads down and follow them. And I believe it cites a line of Ahab's from Melville's Moby Dick. And you'll hear it. It's the, the one that starts, swerve me, the path to my fixed purpose. And uh, yeah, so I think I just, uh, I think that's all I need to tell you about it. And here goes. This is a poem called Railroad History Practice Text. Remembered. Thought aching down its tracks. Do you obsess for days? Do those near to you intend to let you down? If something is, is worth doing or thought or better thought of or seeing the path but preferring crashed passage through or rather feeling compelled to hack a new one from the dense, rank undergrowth beside it, acceptable estimates for ton, miles of different commodities. If you answered yes, the controlled rattle. To let you dawn, in whose titles no longer swerve me, the path to my fixed purpose is laid with iron rails whereon my soul is grooved to run. The word wilderness, to hold a grudge, where do you keep replay the laying of ties, tend to, or seeing the blank space better for a black line through it. Died in the attempt. Do you, ten signs of rigid thinking, advise, died with a hammer in, breath, or beside the imagined line. Following, the following, questions. Procedure, series of terminal, little metal pedal, impossible muddle, delightful steeple, intolerable puzzle, griddle, grizzled, apostle, purple, thistle, ultimatums. 
over the sides of, lateral, referred to, died to perfect. On either side, with their implements, as light and dark sound. In the thick, dank, overgrown, under, do you? Do you? Imbroglio, hard, accurate, severe, a straight line, imagined as a straight line, imposed the most direct route, pathos, fissile, the very words. This is a poem from a book called Dark Archive that came out in 2011. Some of the poems in this book were written in response to what we call here the Federal Flood. And this is one of those poems from the Lower Ninth Ward called Little Landscape, Spring, 2006, Lower Ninth Ward. Got out where the road went, under wind-rippled clouds, by the field where the storm-tossed barge crushed the houses, beautiful hyphenated word, storm-tossed, clean, bright arc, down the rusted hull, cutting it into what could be shifted in pieces, the conveyance, here a tent of azure plastic, there someone's roof on the ground, someone's boat on a roof and mashed, car piled on car, crushed, torn, split, ruined, structures, past tense, damage, stilled as adjectives, the highly toxic air, articulate syllables, shapes a mind might construct of and for an encounter, bits of blue sky, shiver between clouds, caught in upthrust edges of shattered asphalt, telephone poles, tilt, splintered off midair, bearing posters, if you saw the levee break. In the weedy rubble, a heap of blue and white disposable coveralls beside the neat line of black rubber boots, soaking in bleach, in silence. So... I'm going to end with some poems from the project I'm currently working on, which is uh, has a working title, which is uh, ETC. Um, and that book is about a avatar or a logo or um, the, the cartoon character who stands for a brand and asserts the brand's relationship to um, the earth and natural natural things. Um, as the brand gets further and further away from those things, it also for me functions as a way of talking about how the corporal is the corporate in our contemporary society and how we're forced really by the demands of capitalism to constantly sell ourselves. So um, I'll just read you a few of these poems which uh, have been, <laughs> well, Pouring out of me. Um, that's a that's a joke. That's true, though. It's a little, been a little scary because I've been writing them so quickly. Laughing cow versus Elsie. 
Big bovine heads float over the destroyed city. Laser beams of mean girl miffed fury zing down from their eyes. The rubble smokes. No one can escape this. I mean, everyone is collateral damage, but runs around anyway, screaming in some squeaky foreign language, waving their tiny, well-cared-for hands. The populace flees above the subtitle. Populace fleeing. Screams. I apply my eye makeup in the same rearview mirror I'm using to watch this, but a lot of the commotion is from the monster's POV. Incomprehensible gibberish, we know, means save us and the highly enhanced sound of those massive digestive systems working invisibly is save us, completely terrifying. This is a poem called Vertical. You fall in love with a cow pretending to be a woman and end up with a woman pretending to be a cow. It doesn't matter at all. It's all dead meat by the end of the movie anyway, and your fear of heights has been cured completely. L'amour de la reine. These are but the trappings and the suits of cow. In a dream, I saw the baby calves, saw the constant stream of water on them hosed off, hosed down, saw the water turned on by the attendants, all in bright silk milkmaid dresses, cleaning them, keeping them constantly clean as their hides were stripped away, as they were flayed alive and cut, and they spoke only between cries of pain of their brand, how to use their youth and beauty to sell their books, where they were cut into pieces as they spoke of boob jobs and Botox and hair dye, spray tans and waxing while the blood was washed down the drains by those who waited on them, who may not have understood what was said, interrupted as it was by screams and moaning, nose jobs, they said, and what the perfect labia should look like under the sound of water hitting flesh and water, splashing on concrete and water, caught amid shreds of meat gurgling out at the drain, they insisted, they spoke of beauty, we are talking about the good and the beautiful, they said, above the sound of the hoses, their own screams, as we said then, so... Tragic. Uh, heartrending. Memorable milk. The lit from within tall pale glass oven Hitchcock's suspicion born on a silver tray up a staircase, the symbol of complicated distrust, and the endless drinking of to wash in a long-ago version of childhood down whatever it was that was the after-school snack, memory of the vomit-like look of broken bits of Oreos, slowly dissolving where too long are carelessly dunked also. A boyfriend calling later from a payphone so his partner, the woman he lived with, wouldn't overhear our long, easy conversation. I'm swigging, he said, after a softball game, a little carton of chocolate milk. How charming he seemed as he cheated on somebody else. Before that, all the refills we needed in order to try to swallow the huge bowls of our stepmother's greasy, bony, boiled fish head soup, two mouthfuls of nothingness to each spoonful of retching. I think I'm still waiting to be excused, and it's so late. The ditches full of, where the dairy farmers poured it out in America in the 1930s, struggling to get a fair price, and the Nestle boycott of 1977, insert a blankness here to stand for, 
Our fear of and desire for the breast, and later still the performance of a former student who poured that heavy whiteness from the gallon into the years written on each cup, decades spent waiting for citizenship. She drank 83, 84, 85, all an opaque liquid, 93, 94. She choked down, coughed 95, up, flowing across her face, along her neck, 96. She held above her like a lantern, then dumped over her head a gush of erasure, and then the glass of cold and white as her own heart, the ruthless honey trap in Get Out with the straw sips while looking for future victims on the internet. Also that buttermilk at the end of Harriet Mullen's supermarket, our home a galaxy, the splash of stars, voie lactée, and milk of amnesia, haunted by the promise of a bath of, a word repeated until meaning vanishes, and all the flowing cliches, mothers, human, kindness, pure as, why buy the cow, etc., and of course, the spilt. Oh yes, the spilt. Why not? as you are a part of the world's poor, cry over it, adding drip to drop. That was poet and professor Laura Mullen. You can find more about her and her work on her website, lauramullen.biz. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 3 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.